Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Thank you, Justin. God is so good. <clears throat> Happy Fourth of July. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. I, 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 I feel like we're in a profound moment in the Lord, and uh, I'm just I'm stirred. Uh, I spent most of uh, yesterday sort of trying to prepare, you know, and just hear the heart of the Lord. And then uh, by last night, He just crashed everything that I had kind of written down, and <laughs> and uh, and I just started sh- things started shifting, and. Uh, I was excited about that. You know, it's very exciting when you feel the stirrings of the Holy Spirit. God so wants to stir our hearts. He doesn't want us to grow dull in hearing, in following. And, uh, you know, there are times, you know, most of life we, 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 we go through the mundane. You know, there's just this routine, and uh, and it's so important we stay faithful in the mundane. We stay faithful in the routine, and um, you know, and God meets us there, and that's where so much growth happens. And it's just it's important. Um, it's just an important part of life. But there are times when God starts to shift, and uh, and He wants us to be able to shift with Him. He doesn't want us to be stuck in a rut. And he doesn't want us to look at what we don't have. He wants us to look at what he has uh, and and what he can do. And he wants you to do, just all he wants you to do is is something simple. He wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that all things are possible through him. Right? With man, some things are impossible. With God, nothing's impossible. And... um, it's just it, it, it's just an exciting time. So last night uh, I really felt the, the stirrings of the Lord. Tammy and I had the you know just opportunity, just spur the moment. We went out to dinner with Ali Farrell, who heads up the uh, resting place House of Prayer, <clears throat> and we're just sharing our hearts about what God's doing. And you just feel the stirrings of the Holy Spirit. And then <clears throat> in the middle of the night last night. I woke up and the Lord just started speaking to me. And I just, um, you know, like we're celebrating, you know, the nation is celebrating July 4th. What is July 4th? Is it just, it's the big barbecue day. It's, it's fireworks. Really what it is, is, is it's the, the birth of the nation, right? It's the birth of the nation. It's going back to the roots. And we're remembering that at, there came a point in time when, you know, the 13 colonies got together and they said, there's no king but King Jesus. And, you know, and they rebelled against uh, <clears throat> England and they, they set up an independent nation. And uh, when you, you study some of the revolution, uh, there was a lot of Christian roots and stirring of the Holy Spirit to bring forth a nation. Now, it doesn't mean that the nation was without sin, that we were perfect. We had a lot of messed ups, mess ups and some things at our roots that still had to be corrected. We had to suffer through a horrible civil war and shed 
blood all over the place to pay for some of the sins that were brought forth in the beginning of the nation, right, which was slavery. And, uh, you know, and, and that was part of God's correction on a nation. <laughs> but um, so the Lord started stirring me, and he says, I want you to return to your roots. And uh, in the middle of the night, I felt the Lord say, I want you to return to your roots. And then I felt, that I felt Amos 9-11. Now, people who are around sort of house of prayer stuff and, you know, you know, that might resonate with them. But for whatever reason, like, I, I didn't really remember what this, what this scripture in Amos 9-11 is. But um, let me just read it for you. Amos 9-11, on that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its da damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. Praise God. And I'm, we're going to get into that a little bit more. I want to I turn, I want you to turn with me to Acts 15. Because at the very beginning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when God started to reveal to the apostles that this good news wasn't just going to be limited to uh, the children of Abraham anymore, but it was going to go out to all the world as a witness to all people. <clears throat> so, and that was radical. You have to understand, for thousands of years, God worked through his chosen people who were the children of Abraham, the Jewish people, Israel as we know it, and, uh, and that was his witness in the earth. And they weren't called to evangelize anyone else. As a matter of fact, they were called just to be separate and not, be a, let, not let the other nations be a part. And if they intermarried or intermingled, um, you know, God warned them that they're going to cause your hearts to turn away. <clears throat> but there was a shift happening where God wasn't just going to demonstrate his love you know, through a people, but he was going to put his spirit into people. And he was going to change hearts, which would transform everything. So let's look at Acts 15. And I'm going to share with you why I think this is, God is bringing us back to our, our roots. Acts 15, beginning of verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version, for those who are interested. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. In other words, they had a big argument about it. <laughs> and they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Is it necessary that someone has to get circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus? So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria and describing their conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up. Now, 
The Pharisees were the very religious Jews, but these were the very religious Jews who believed in Messiah. They received Jesus as Savior. They were celebrating, but they were, you know, they were trained in this strict following of the law. And so, they, like, you know, this is God gave us the law, and so they were, they were struggling, you know, that Paul was saying, like, we're not under the law anymore. Okay, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believe rose up saying it's necessary to circumcise them being these, the Gentile converts and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, not a little dispute, this was a major controversy in the early church. It was going to shape all of church history. Much dispute. Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of this good news, the gospel, and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? There's none righteous, no, not one. You know, if you're going to keep the law, you got to keep the whole law. If you fall in one part, you're guilty. But we believe that through grace, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declare how many miracles and wonders God worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they became silent, they didn't know what to say anymore. There was silence. James arose and answered. And we should all highlight this in our Bibles. This is, this is a key moment. J James, uh, may have, it was, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> reported that he's probably one of the natural brothers of Jesus who came to faith after he rose from the dead. James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the, so that, what does so that means? So that, what does that mean? So that, why is he doing this? So that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. He quotes Amos. 9-11. God 
is restoring the tabernacle of David. Now, when we began as a community, six of us, meeting in a conference room in a YMCA on a Friday night, we knew God had called us to something very specific, to lift up prayer, night and day prayer, worship in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. Honestly, we didn't come to plant a church. We didn't, we, we had no other, we had, a, we had a mandate from heaven. We really believed and we know that God was calling us to raise up prayer. Um, you know, I had shared, I had shared this with uh, the, the leader of my former church and, um, you know, he, he didn't quite get it, but I, I understood what the Lord was calling us to. And it didn't matter how many people came or didn't come. It didn't matter. What mattered was we knew we had a call from God to do something. And because we were convinced of it, we were willing to press into it, to sacrifice, just to, to do the will of the Lord. And in the process, God expanded our hearts, expanded our vision. It took some time, and we sort of, we followed the Lord, and then it, we became a church, and, you know, here we are today. But it, it started from... A very small beginning. It didn't have explosive growth. It wasn't like, you know, we started meeting and the first time we met in six and then the next time was 12 and then we were 200. No, it didn't happen like that. It happened, we started with six. You know, sometimes we had 10, sometimes we had 15 and we go back to six. And, but I, I you know, God honors faithfulness. You know, Justin was talking about the internal life of your heart, your consistency. Every decision you make for God counts. Every time you turn from temptation and say yes to God and no to the enemy, it counts in heaven. It moves the heart of God. And it's written down like in the face of resistance and temptation, they honored me. They were following me. When you he honors those who honor him. It's, a, it's, the, it's the scripture. He honors those who honor him. And every time that you choose to do right, when you have the opportunity to choose a different path or a temptation or, you know, you don't choose to act out in your anger and you hold your tongue. And, and every time that you choose to just honor God, it moves his heart. It really does. It, it affects his heart. He's like, did you see that? You know, it's one thing for the angels who are in heaven in the presence of God, and they don't have resistance. They don't have temptation. They're, they're just enjoying God forever and ever. But we're here in this crucible of testing, you know. And in the face of resistance, when you choose God, it moves his heart. Because, like, we do have resistance. You're not going to have resistance in heaven. Hallelujah. I don't like resistance. But, you know, this is where you have the opportunity to really build treasure in heaven. You have the opportunity to live for eternity. And every time you choose God in the face of temptation, opposition, resistance, 
uh, and you choose God, you, you actually store up treasures in heaven. So here we are, and I want to talk about returning to our roots because, you know, uh, we were meeting with Ali last night, and during this week, you know, Tammy and I took some time. We would just, I just started, like, tuning into what was happening at uh, the International House of Prayer down in Kansas City and just listening to some of Mike Bickle's perspective on things. And, you know, I used to feed a lot on what Mike was doing, and then God was shifting things. You know, I, I, it's Rick Joyner once said, um, God sort of alights on certain ministries in different times, in different seasons, because he wants to highlight certain truths in the body of Christ and bring it forth. And so I know in the, you know, in the mid-90s, uh, around 1994, the Holy Spirit fell in Toronto, and there was a great outpouring of the Spirit. Sometime in, I think, 95, Tammy and I had the privilege to go up there, and we got wrecked by what God was doing. And we're drawing from that well for a season of time. And it was awesome. And it, honestly, it's still going on up in Toronto. It's still awesome. It's still great. They're following the Lord. They're fulfilling their call and their mandate. And I love them and bless them. And then around 1999, and we made several trips up there, Tammy and I, Sal and Jules. Sal and Juliana were leading a youth ministry, and they would take them up there and They'd get wrecked by the Holy Spirit. And really, I, I never, Sal and Jules were transformed. I knew them before and after, and they were completely transformed by the outpouring. And that's what God does when he shows up. Amazing. And then around 1999, I just, you know, I had, uh, I went with a group of guys to, uh, to Kansas City to a forerunner conference, and, uh, and I, got, I got wrecked. In a, in a whole other way. You know, we were going hard for God for a long time. And um, Tammy and I got saved in the early 80s. And that was 1999. So it's like almost 20 years later. And we're still going hard for God. But also, I got encountered in Kansas City in a major way. I got encountered in Toronto and sensitive to the Lord. And just things grew exponentially. But something happened to me when I went to Kansas City in 1999, um, I, I was transformed for a vision. Prayer and, you know, worship, but especially prayer, was a part of our early Christian walk, Tammy and I, where we, we got saved. Um, we used to go to a little sort of a Bible study at a, a friend's house. Older, they were older than us, and, uh, and they just they taught us intercession. They taught us to intercede for the will of God to be done. And we were, so we, we became people of prayer. And so we always resonated with prayer. And, uh, but it was a little bit hardcore, you know, it was just, just prayer. Just pray. Okay, you pray, you pray, you pray. Okay, do it again, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but we resonated with it because it was a call on our lives. We were marked by it. But in 1999, when I went to Kansas City, they were, uh, they were doing this harp and bowl type of prayer. Harp and bowl comes uh, out of Revelation, I think it's Revelation 4. Let me just see if I can pull it up.
Revelation 5, sorry guys, I didn't give you this scripture. <laughs> Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So this is a picture of what goes on in heaven. It's very important that we take note of what goes on in heaven. Jesus told us, I want you to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you see things in heaven, they're models that we want to emulate. So here's how they pray in heaven. The four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, which is Jesus, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense. A harp is a musical instrument which are golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood of every tribe and tongue and people and nations. So, so in 1999, I'm in Kansas City, and I'm watching this antiphonal singing and prayer. The, the worship team is being coordinated with prayer leaders. The prayer leaders, you know, Mike's there, and he's just praying. And then the singers in the background are just fall like are, are hearing the sound of the Lord, and they're, they're singing out verses, scripture verses, that are in agreement with the prayers that are being prayed and they're, and they're going back and forth and you just feel the anointing of God and the pleasure of God on it. And that was harp and bowl worship. And so this week as we were, we were watching, you know, some of the things that are happening in IHOP and at the end it's like, it's so that I was there in 1999 and it set us on a journey. We would, We'd go to one thing conferences. We would after that we were sort of about five or six years very plugged into what was happening there, and um, and we knew that God was birthing in us something around this idea of you know worship in the spirit of the tabernacle of David, night and day worship, worship that doesn't stop, and prayers filling the bowls of incense with heaven, because. The scripture says in Psalms that the the heavens are the Lord even are the Lord's, even the heaven of heavens, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. So that God does nothing on the earth except he does it through men. He just, that's his he has sovereignly decided he's given the earth to men and he's gonna work through men. So that when man needed a savior, a redeemer, what did God do? He sent a man. But there was no man who was worthy. So what did he do? He sent his son. He became man and came to earth to redeem us because everything that he does in the earth, he does through men. And he's still working. Now, the enemy thought, well, if we could kill Jesus, we'll just end this thing right now. And so he thought when he crucified, the enemy thought when he crucified Jesus that he had a great victory. And it says, had the princes of this world, know, had they known they would have never crucified Jesus because once they crucified him, 
you know, he shed his blood. He paid the price for all of us. And then he put his spirit in us so that it's not us who live, right? Galatians, is it 2.22 or 2.20? You know, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me. It's Christ that lives in me. It's Christ in me. So now instead of having to deal with one Jesus, he's got Jesus in every one of you. The potential in you is unlimited. It, it, it will, it, it'll frighten the, it'll, it'll frighten all of hell. It literally, if we, if we would rise up in our identity and understand who we are, not in arrogance and pride, in the meekness and humility that, that Jesus walked in, but know fully who we are, that we're sons and daughters and we're walking in his authority, it's gonna, it'll shake all of hell. And that's what he's called us to. So, so the Lord spoke and he, want, and he said to me, Bill, I want you to return to your roots. And he spoke Amos 9.11. And it's the same word that James spoke, which almost doesn't seem connected to the outpouring, the Gentiles are coming in. And it's, I will restore. James arose and he said, with this, the prophets agree just as it is written. This is Acts. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who are called by my name. So God wants to do something in the earth. We're believing, we know part of the mandate on this house is to usher in a mighty end time revival. I burned with revival from the first time I got saved. It was like, God, I want you. I want to see you move in miracle signs and wonders. I want your presence. One of the things in this house is presence. We love the presence of the, God, of the Lord. We stay in singing and worship, you know, just pressing into the Lord because in that pressing in, in that unity, you feel his presence come. There's a tangible anointing that comes. And, and that's our, that's, we place high, high value on that. We want to partner with the Lord. We don't want, if he's not there, we don't want to go. We just want to go where he, he's going. All right, turn with me to First Chronicles 15. I, I, I want to sort of help you to understand what is this thing called the tabernacle of David? Bill, what are you talking about? Because a lot of us will read through these scriptures and just like, it gets a little monotonous, and there's a lot of names, and you, you just blow right through it, and you don't really capture it all. But in First Chronicles 15, beginning of verse 1, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God, and he pitched a tent for it. Okay, so he pitched a tent for the ark of God. What did the ark of God represent? The ark of God represented the presence of God. That's where God dwelt. David was a picture, an Old Testament reality. He saw something through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. He saw a New Testament reality, and he was able to sort of pull it into his day as a type and shadow. So he prepared a tent for the ark of God. Then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. It's interesting that he says no one's going to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Why? He tried it a different way. He tried it, you know, a way that seemed right to him. Listen, let's get a brand new cart. 
We'll get, you know, these great horses and we'll decorate the cart real nice. We'll put the ark on top and we'll bring in the presence of God. But that's not the way God said to do it. The, the way the Lord instructed Moses was to have the Levites carry the ark on the poles. And, you know, there was a whole protocol. It's very important that we understand that we can't do things that we just think are, this is probably okay. I, I see nothing wrong with this. This is fine. <laughs> we have to do it God's way. It's so important that we align our hearts and our minds and our decisions to say, I'm going to do it your way. Wait a minute. It's not convenient that way. And we can just, just put it on a cart. Nobody's got to, like, you know, throw your shoulder out. It's just the cart is more modern. They didn't have uh, the kind of carts we have today. No, it didn't matter. The Levites were chosen. It's so important, each of us. It, it, it's, we can't have it our way. We have to agree with God. Your worship is your agreement with God. Your worship is agreement with God. His way, not my way, your way. You said it, I, you know, that settles it. Agree with God. That's your worship. So David learned the hard way. People died uh, doing it their own way, <clears throat> carrying the ark. So he says, look, no one's going to carry the ark but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them <coughs> to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. In the New Testament, so the Levites are the priests. Who are the priests in the New Testament? You're all kings and priests. This is the beauty. We're, we're all invited into this amazing place. So it's the priests, the Levites, who are, gonna, are chosen to carry the ark and to minister before him forever. David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. Then David assembled the children of Aaron and of the Levites. Let's skip down to verse 12. He said to them, you are, you, you in the heads of the father's houses, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves or get ready. Separate yourself unto God. You and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord of Israel to the place I prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, okay, you tried to do it with a cart. The Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. We need to learn this. There's an order that God has. We do it God's way. All right? So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves. They set themselves apart to God. They, you know, whatever. They just made sure they confessed all their sins. They're just, God, I just want to be right with you. Set, set yourself apart uh, to bring the ark of God to Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So there was an order, and they followed it. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites. And he said, go get the singers and the musicians. All right, it's not exactly what it says. It says, appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, which is the same thing. In the modern vernacular, it's like, get the singers, get the musicians. Go get them. <clears throat> Let them 
Appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, cymbals or percussion, and by raising the voice with resounding joy. This is the order. This is the way God wants it to happen. He wants us to come in with singing, rejoicing. He wants music playing because he is worthy. He is worthy. And so <clears throat> let's, uh, drop, let's drop down to verse 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen as were all the Levites who bore the ark. The singers and uh, Hananiah, the music master with the singers. So they had an orchestra leader with the singers. David also wore a linen ephod. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So they had horns going. Trumpets, cymbals, making music with stringed instruments and harps. And it happened as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the city of David. That Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David walking and playing music. And she despised him in her heart. I don't really want to focus on, on Michael, but it's important that we understand there's a way God established an order. And part of that is music. It's singing. It's worship. And this is how it happens in heaven. We just read in Revelation. This is how it happens in heaven. Okay. Uh, let's keep going. Down, let's go over to chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle of David. In the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, that he blessed. <laughs> Thank you. I'll read this myself. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, and then then, um, then they offered the burnt offerings and the peace offerings before God. And when David had finished the offering, the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate to give thanks and to praise the Lord God of Israel. He appointed them. This is going to be your job. You're going to go into the tabernacle. You're going to commemorate. You're going to give thanks. And you're going to praise the Lord God of Israel. Let's Go down to verse 37. So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark regularly 
as every day's work required. Every day's work. This was their job. The Lord desires to be worshipped on earth as it is in heaven. Let me say that again. The Lord desires to be worshipped on earth as it is in heaven. In Revelations chapters 4 and 5, John describes aspects of the worship order that was established after God's own heart. This is how it is in heaven. This is how he wants to be worshipped. The heavenly order is continual. It's nonstop. It's musical. It's relational. And it's God-centered. I'm going to say that again. It's continual. It's musical. It's relational. Everything in the kingdom is relational. It's so important we understand that. The Trinity... is a relationship, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is love because of the Trinity. Because the Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the Son and the Father. It's just, it keeps this, 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 this divine dance in heaven amongst the Trinity. God is not all just powerful. If God was singular, he might just be all powerful first, but he's triune, he's relation, he has this relationship, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in this divine dance of heaven, and that's why he's love, because love only exists in what? In relation to another. Love gives and receives. Love, you know, sacrifices itself. Love just honors. Love, you know, read 1 Corinthians 13. God is love because God is triune. If he wasn't triune, he couldn't be love. He's love because he exists in relationship to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's invited you and I into this divine dance. He's invited us into this divine relationship to be a part of the Godhead, to be the bride of Jesus Christ in, in this divine oneness and unity and beauty. Turn with me to Isaiah 16, verse 5. Isaiah 16, verse 5. In mercy, what are we singing today about his goodness and his mercy? Is following me. I got everything I need. <laughs> In mercy, the throne will be established, and the one will sit on it in truth. In mercy and truth have met together in who? Jesus. And the one who will sit on it in truth. In the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. Well, let me read that again. In mercy, the throne will be established, and the one will sit on it in truth. In 
the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. I really believe God wants to reestablish worship in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. Out of that place of worship, he's going to establish justice and righteousness. And he wants us to come into that divine partnership. Now, when you, you read through and understand it, there was about, I don't know, 253 worshipers and singers. Let me just see if I can pull that up. Anyway, there was, it's in the scripture. There's, there was about 253 people, roughly. I don't know if I have the, the number right. I lost my place of reference. But <clears throat> that, that David appointed to just sing, to play music, and to worship. And uh, to establish the tabernacle of David. And when we started in our roots, that's what we felt like the Lord had called us to do. We didn't feel like he called us to, to start a, uh, um, a church. We felt when we started out, we felt like the Lord was just calling us to lift up worship and prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. So we would gather on Friday nights, just started with six people, one guy on a keyboard, and the rest of us singing off key, just loving Jesus. But you know what? Heaven would come down. Like, how many listen to Maverick City and uh, Old Church Basement? You know, it's like, we, uh, that's, that was us, like in this old church basement. But we touched heaven. We touched heaven in that old YMCA. <laughs> you know, because that was our church basement. And it wasn't about talent. And we weren't trying to be famous. But we knew that God had called us to this. And we wanted to see, this is what we wanted more than it. We wanted to see a move of God in a city. We wanted to see a move of God in this city. And we felt like God called us, you know, Tammy and I, I grew up in Queens, you know, at some point we had moved in to Brooklyn, but, you know, we were not like, quote, Manhattan people. I just, you know, we were kind of out of borough. I worked in Manhattan and I, I liked, I had a desire in my flesh to be, in, live a more suburban life. And then the Lord upended all that. He says, no, I've called you to the inner city. As a matter of fact, the first time we went to Toronto, Jim Paul, who we hadn't met, many of you know him now, you know, called us out, called me out to help him. And then he prayed for Tammy and I. And he says, you guys, uh, God's called you to the, to the inner city. You've been trying to get out of the city. But God's called you into the city. And, you know, and he prophesied some other things about ministry, et cetera, over us. And uh, it, was, it was amazing because right before we went to Toronto, literally the week before, we had moved from Queens to Brooklyn, which was a whole story because we, was, we were planning to move out to, like, northern New Jersey suburbs. And God said no, supernaturally kept closing doors to get our attention. Like, sometimes... God's not nice. <laughs> I mean it in a good way. But it's like, like if you're stubborn about something and you're not really listening, it's no problem. I can work this out. So he just, <laughs> he just kept closing doors. 
And he made it impossible for us to do what we wanted to do in our flesh. And finally, and I'm more stubborn than my wife, and she's like, I think God's saying something to us. I was like, no. I think he wants us to move to Brooklyn. No, I rebuke that. That's, that can't be God. Thank God for a godly wife. It's just she heard him. And then, you know, and then, you know, part of our story is like surrendering to that because God calls you to things and it's actually good, but in your flesh you think, no, I know better. This would be better. I don't want that. But when you say yes, God is just so much better. Like God's plans are so much better. But often they look like death. And, you know, that's actually that's what we're called to. Like pick up your cross. What is that? Death. You die on the cross. So when you die to yourself and you say yes to God, he sends you on this amazing journey that's so much better than anything you could imagine. And that was our, our story. Moving to Brooklyn was the exact opposite of what I thought it was going to be. It was just phenomenal. We, we grew in leaps and bounds. We found community. We found place for our our kids to grow up and to, for us to raise our children in a faith community. And, you know, it's just amazing. We still live there in Brooklyn. And, uh, and then when God spoke to us about raising up prayer, it was like, okay, I want you to do it. Now you have to go into Manhattan. It's like, why, why can't we just do it here in Brooklyn? What kind of cool with Brooklyn? <laughs> nope, I'm calling you into Manhattan. And so we crossed the bridge, and we felt like the time, like we were crossing the Jordan. <laughs> it was, it was, but it was a promise. We were going on a promise. We were going into the promised land because God had promised to give us something. And we went, and like I said, it wasn't explosive growth. It was just slow. But the one thing, see, God blesses faithfulness. God blesses, like, when you're, when you're consistent, and you just you just obedient. It's small things. God just breathes on it. So we went from you know we had a few years in the YMCA. Um, <clears throat> we had a few years in the YMCA. Jordan came to the YMCA. Tiffany, a handful of other people, um, and they were glorious times. I mean, we would be just so high in the spirit, you know. And but it was it wasn't. I, it was the old church basement. We weren't, you know, it was not, you know, lights on stages. and <laughs> But it was glorious. It was glorious. And then we moved supernaturally to this place at 77 Chamber Street. It was a loft on top of a hamburger joint, checkers hamburgers, Chinese massage parlor, house of prayer. <laughs> And God breathed on it. And it was crazy. It was like this loft. And there was resistance. Like people complained, the music's too loud. What are you doing? And, you know, we had the soundproof. We spent so much money doing different things. But, like, every sacrifice, and here's the thing, this sacrifice, it's, it's not always easy, but God honors the sacrifice. When you lay down, when you lay yourself aside and say, God, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. I'll do it for you. Like, he, that he sends fire on sacrifice. He doesn't send fire on your convenience. Like, I'll do everything at my convenience for the Lord. Fire doesn't fall on that. It just doesn't. But fire falls on sacrifice. And sacrifice today is not bulls and sheep. Sacrifice is sometimes giving when you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit and you don't want to, like, 
a tithe. That's why do I ten percent? That's crazy. You do that, you tithe, he honors that. When you give even beyond that, like you see the increase of the Lord, but it's counterintuitive because the world tells you when you give it up, you lost it, it's gone. God says, give and it should be given unto you. But you got to step into that in faith. And um, the sacrifice are coming every Friday night. Like, you know, like we had other things we could do on Friday nights. People wanted to meet us, go out, do this, do that. Like we lost relationships because we had no, we sort of cut off some time. Like every Friday was no good. You can't make plans with Bill and Tammy on Friday. They're in church. And there were times in the mundaneness of doing what you're supposed to do, you, um, you know, it's, you're like, oh, okay, no, we got to do this. And you just do it. But God honors that. All right, here's the last scripture. I'm closing and, and turn with me to Matthew 14. Here's the thing. Sometimes you're resource constrained. And we're talking about, I'm even talking with our staff, like we want to reinstitute Friday or Friday night worship. But we've lost a lot of worship people and different things over time. And we're resource constrained. Like, how are we going to do it? We just don't have the, the singers and the musicians and the worship leaders. And uh, I want to read Matthew 14 because I, I really think this is what God wants us to do. Matthew 14, beginning of verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by a boat and he went to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitude heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. And he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, look, this is a deserted place. And the hour is late. Send the multitude away so that they can go into the villages and buy some food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples were like, huh? And they kind of looked at each other. And they said, well, well, uh, we only have five loaves and two fish. This little boy over here, you know, he's got five loaves and two fish. You know, what, what, what is that? Like, how are we going to feed the multitude with five loaves and two fish? And he said to them, bring it here to me. Then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up to heaven. He blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, not even counting the women and the children. When God calls you to do something, he doesn't call you to look at your own resources and figure it out. He says, bring to me what you have. God wants us to raise up 
worship in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. It's continual, it's relational, it's God-centered. We don't have, in the natural, the resources to do that. But God in heaven does. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here, and we're going to pray for them. We're going to give thanks. And we're going to pray for them. Because that's what Jesus did. He said, bring me what you have. Are there any other singers and people on the worship team here? Come on up. Come on, Jim. Jim, that, that's you. <laughs> Jim's kind of taking a little bit of a sabbatical, but that's okay. We're going to commission him again. Anyway, this is a prophetic act. Where's Jeannie? Oh. All right. It's still a prophetic act. Whether you're still currently doing it or not, I, I get it. Listen, this is, we're going to give thanks for what we have. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're going to give thanks. We're going to bless these guys. And we're going to say, God, send the musicians and the singers. Because this is not my idea. Really, this is God's idea. And I'm not going to look at what I don't have. I'm going to look at what God has. If he said it, he's going to do it. All right? Can we all stand up? Jesus said, you feed them. He said, how are we going to do that? We have five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them to me. Thank you, Lord. Kevin, come over here. <laughs> Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you that you're breathing on something today. You're breathing on something today. God, it's, you want to see worship in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. Uh, so, Father, I just thank you for, 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 what you ha for, the, for the resources that we do have. We offer up in our weakness, we offer up the five loaves and the two fish. God, I thank you for the ministry team, the worship team that we have here today. God, and I say multiply them, multiply them, multiply them, multiply them. In the name of the Lord Jesus, multiply them, multiply them, Father. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for your provision. I thank you, God, that we're not limited. We're not resource constrained by what we see on earth. But as it is in heaven, so let it be on earth. God, Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Would you breathe on this team and breathe on those who would come after them, those who would come after them. God, fill this house with singers, with musicians, with people that want to see the move of the Holy Spirit. God, fill the house with worship. Fill the house with praise. God, that it would be continual. It would be relational. It would be God-centered. And that you would receive all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. And all the people of God said, amen. Come on. Come on. Why don't you guys go up there? Thank you, Lord. So that's my 4th of July message. <laughs> Let's return to our roots. 
let's know that God is good. He's so good. His goodness and his mercy is following after us. He can't be contained. He can't be limited. He's not resource constrained. He is good. He is good. Something new in the earth. I thank you that you're breathing on your people. Father, restore vision, restore purpose, and bring us into the fullness of what you have. In Jesus' name. Let's just close by worshiping him.